Amen. Thank you, Paul and Dennis and Faith. and Thank you, choir. I know I often thank the musicians, but don't thank you enough. Thank you for your sacrifices, for coming to choir practice and, and serving. And um, It's just a great, uh, great treat for our church, a treasure for you to use your gifts amongst us. We're so thankful for you. So thankful for that song. It's a good one. Oh, great God. I'm sure it was probably a new one to many of you, but it's a reminder that we do serve a great God. He does many things, wonderful things that we do not even see on a given day. So thankful for His grace. We are saved by God's grace and we are dependent upon God's grace, dependent upon His grace day after day after day. Well, it's good to be back with you this morning. As some of you know, our uh, not our entire family, uh, just Sheena and I, were able to go out to Portland, Oregon to see uh, Sheena's brother, Bo, and sister-in-law, Alyssa. They live in Portland with their two precious daughters, and uh, they've been there for almost five years, seeking to plant a church, partnering with a church there, uh, trying to... Uh, make inroads in sharing the gospel with those in Portland. But those of you who have ever been to Portland know, or even in the Pacific Northwest, that it is a difficult area to share the gospel. But as we know, many areas are difficult to share the gospel. We are still called to speak and testify. And as the Apostle Paul says, I believed, therefore I speak. But while we were out there, we noticed uh, the spiritual climate is very different. Um, many people would probably call themselves spiritual in a general sense, depending on how you define spiritual. But after I got back, I was doing some research on Portland. Don't worry, I have no plans of moving there. But um, I was doing some research on Portland, and I found this poem by a Portlander. Her name is Ella Higginson. Then she describes the stirring in her soul. She says, Forgive me that I cannot kneel and worship in this pew, for I have knelt in western dawns when the stars were large and few, and the only fonts God gave me were the deep leaves filled with dew. So it is I worship best with only the soft air about me and the sun's warm gold upon my brow and hair. For then my very heart and soul mount upward in swift prayer. Many Portlanders um, enjoy God's creation Many of them do not recognize that it is God as the creator. But God's creation is noticeable wherever you go, from the mountains to the coast to the magnificent waterfalls in the Pacific Northwest. um, The landscape is captivating. But while God's creation is captivating and reveals God's general grace, we must not stop there. We must continually seek God's face. Portlanders and those who live in the Pacific Northwest are what researchers call the nuns, not N-U-N, N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. The reason why they're called the nuns is because they don't want to be identified with any particular group, um, religious or otherwise. So Oregonians are not the only ones who are replacing church with creation or something else. Many people, even in our area or in other parts of our country, would like to be called part of the nuns. One of the reasons why this is, in my opinion, is because There's less authority and responsibility when we seek to escape from our stress into the hills and the valleys outdoors. But while many try to find themselves and isolate themselves, they do so to their own downfall. 
God, our Creator, not only planted the mountains, the seas, the trees to bloom so we all can see their beauty, but He planted churches so we might see the beauty of the gospel as well. It's through the church. Through the church we see the wisdom of God on display. It's through the church we see the beauty and the power of the gospel in everyday life. And it's through the church that we find church leaders, pastors, elders, shepherds, who are leading the church to do what? To follow Christ. And that is a beautiful thing. Elders have authority given by God to guide others in knowing God and are accountable to God for the way they lead those under their care. See, we have to realize Satan will tell you many lies. He tells me many lies. One of those lies is that authority can never be trusted because it, it is always tyrannical and oppressive. This is not true. Authority can be used and abused by many people inside and outside of the church, but pastors or elders, remember those words are used interchangeably, are led by the Spirit, or who are led by the Spirit, will exercise their authority with compassion and courage because they are following the example of Christ. The Scriptures call us to follow our leaders within the church body because they have been placed by God to lead us and to care for us. If we do otherwise, it would prove unprofitable. So we must be grateful for not just a leader, but the leaders that God places amongst us. We must pray for future leaders so one leader does not bear the burden of trying to care for the many varied needs within a congregation. So as we've been doing in the past, we're going to continue to look at what does the Bible say about church leaders and church leadership. What does the Bible say about elders and overseers or pastors? So this morning we're going to look at two passages that pertain to elders within congregations and examine their role and our response to their role. First, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 13. Let's go ahead and stand in honor of God's holy word. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul is the author and he writes these words. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things." And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up 
the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we ask, Lord, that you might unite us in spirit and as one body, the body of believers that you have called to be the church at Haven Baptist. Father, I pray that you might remind us that you have given us grace, grace to believe and grace to work to do your work. Father, I pray that you might remind us that you have given us many gifts in the church. You have given us evangelists, shepherds, teachers, overseers, leaders. Father, we pray that you might raise up more leaders in our midst. Father, I pray that you might stir the souls of those here this morning of their own role in leading and serving in this church. Father, I pray that you might call future workers to serve not only here, but in other states and countries around the world. Father, we thank you that you are continually calling people to do your work and to do your will. Father, we thank you and praise you that you have called us to follow you. Lord, I pray, Father, for us as a church that we might honor you and obey your commands. And Lord, I thank you and praise you that you have given us these letters, 66 books, so that we might honor you and glorify your name. Lord, just as we sang, all glory be to Christ, Father, I pray that we might be able to say that throughout all of our days, even when we mess up and sin. Father, we can say, all glory be to Christ, that there's forgiveness and repentance. Lord, I thank you and praise you for this time together. Lord, lead us as your people. Sanctify us. Make us more like Christ. Father, we thank you. We will give you all the honor and glory and praise. Lord, thank you for what you are doing. Lord, so quickly we can brush past what you are doing or what you have done. But Lord, I pray that we will remember your faithfulness in the past because you are still faithful today. Lord, we thank you for life. We thank you for uh, the new babies that have been born over the past couple uh, weeks and even months. Father, we thank you for the many ways you show your grace to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to look at two passages this morning. We looked at Ephesians 4. We're going to turn over to Hebrews 13 in a little bit. So go ahead and mark that, if you will, so we can turn there quickly um, in just a few minutes. But first, here in Ephesians 4, we see Paul's instruction to the church. If there was one book that described instructions for the church, if there was one manual you wanted to look at, one book you wanted to look at for instructions for the church, it would be the book of Ephesians. As Mike Johnson and I know, our good friend Dane Hayes, he loves the book of Ephesians. He loves it. He would quote it. In fact, his pastor said, do you read any book other than the book of Ephesians? So it is a great book, and we see Paul's instructions here. I picked a large passage of Scripture. We're not going to look at all 13 verses, but we see Paul here stressing unity. 
In fact, we're going past chapter 2, but in chapter 2 he talks about how the church is now one man, that is one body of believers. There was, there's no longer Jews and Gentiles, but there's a church of Jews and Gentiles together. And so there's cause for concern that there might be divisions or that there might be different understanding as to how they should proceed. But Paul talks about how they are to be united. Why they are to be united. Why are we united? Why do we come here? Why did you come here this morning? Hopefully, to worship God. And to glorify Christ. So our unity is not based on our hobbies, our career choices, or our neighborhoods. It's based on Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is the one we come to honor and glorify and worship. We've been called by God. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 1. It's always hard to look at the book of Ephesians without seeing, without turning to Ephesians 1. And so here in Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so here we see God has called us. He has drawn us. He has brought us together. This is God's doing. This is the power of God that we've talked about. This is the grace of God that he has called us together so that we might worship together. It's God's grace that has saved us. It's God's grace that changes us day by day. We should be coming more and more like Christ. There are those dips in the valleys. There are ups and downs. It is if you will, a roller coaster ride, but we are called to worship God and we will become more like God as we um, persevere together. Well, here Paul talks about God's grace that is given to us, that we might be one people, that we might have one Lord. And then in verse 7, he talks about grace. Paul explains that we have been given grace to serve, grace that's been given to build up the body. Now, this isn't saving grace. There's different types of graces, general grace in creation that we see God's hand at work. But this isn't saving grace. He's talking about here in verse 7. This is ministry grace. Grace given to every believer to do ministry so that we might serve, so that we might work, so we might do the work that God has called us to do. So the grace that is given is revealed through the gifts given to the church. gifts given to the church. And why are these gifts given? So that God might be honored. So that we might be used by Him. So that believers might be unified in the faith. And so that the saints might be equipped for the work of the ministry. That's what we see here right in verses uh, 11 and 12. But we're going to focus on verse 11. As God gives gifts to the church, it says He gives what? Verse 11. He gives apostles. This was for a foundational period of time in the beginning of the church. But what else does he give? He gives prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and their teachers. So he gives shepherds, we see here in verse 11. We must remember, again, shepherds, elders, overseers, pastors, these words are used interchangeably. Again, if we had a vast knowledge of the Greek language, we could see that these words are used interchangeably in different places. Particularly in Acts 20, we see this being the case. Even last week in 1 Peter 5, those of you who were here last week heard from Ben Holland. Uh, he did a great job talking about how the, the shepherd is to lead the sheep. 
and to lead them how? How does the shepherd lead the sheep? In numerous ways, but one of those ways is through sound teaching. Is to protect the, the sheep through sound teaching. The role of the, of the elder or the shepherd is to shepherd the flock through teaching and training. We see this here in verse 12. The, the, the shepherd is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we see here in verse 12, the work of the ministry isn't done by one man. It's not done by one committee. It's not done by one person who is influential in the church. It's done by the saints. So we see here that the shepherd, the elders, are called to lead and train and teach the flock so that they might be prepared for work. So we need multiple elders to train us to work, to train us in the ministry. Pastors are called to work by ministering to others, but they are not called to minister alone. They are called to minister alongside the body. So we must spend our lives for the glory of the king and the advancement of his kingdom. This is what we are called to do as the church. So here, what I want us to see in this passage quickly is that elders are called to teach and to train the saints in the church. They're to lead us in the way of King Jesus. Okay, let's look at the second passage. Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 17. Look with me now at this passage. We're going very quickly so that we might look at multiple passages. But here in Hebrews 13, the writer says these words in verse 7. He says, Remember... Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Love verse 8. You should commit verse 8 to memory. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen? Verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him that is to Jesus, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Amen. Amen. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So this is our second passage here in Hebrews. We looked at several verses, and this passage talks about a plurality of leaders, and I would offer that it's a plurality of elders. 
Some would say, well, elders aren't specifically mentioned in this passage, so how can you say that? Well, the reason why I say that is because of what we read in verse 7. What are these leaders doing? Well, they're doing three things. They're speaking to you the word of God. We are to imitate their faith and consider the way in which they live. And so these were examples for the church to follow. It sounds like elders. So these leaders or elders were to be remembered by imitating their faith. They were to be recognized by their lifestyles as an example to follow. And third, we as God's people must recognize them as leaders put in place by God. After we read verse 7, the young believers here were exhorted to remember their leaders by also remembering their Savior. Remember Jesus Christ. This is what verses 8 through 14 says. I love Hebrews because it gives us a good glimpse into the Old Testament. And in verses 8 through 14, he says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember the one in which you have as the perfect sacrifice because you do not have to sacrifice any longer. Not like they did in the Old Testament, bringing um, uh, different animals as far as um, bulls and goats, they're not sacrificing them any longer because you have the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's because of Him we offer up sacrifice of praise. Not in our name, not in our power, but through the powerful name of Jesus. Our sacrifice of praise comes from the lips that confess Jesus Christ as Savior. But not only, don't stop there. Sometimes we can say, that's what we do. We confess, we, we repent and believe that Jesus is Savior. But we don't stop there. If we confess Him as Savior, we also see Him as Lord. And if we see Him as a Lord, we obey Him. We must not, as evangelicals or as Baptists, be afraid of the word obey. So we confess Jesus Christ as Savior through our lives, but we also obey Him as Lord. This is why the writer says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So yes, it is sacrifices of lips that honor God through our confession, but also through our lives, our sacrifice honors God. But also, the obedience is not just to Jesus Christ, but we see in verse 17, we are to obey our leaders. Just as we are to obey the laws of the land. I can't drive 90 on the interstate, even though I want to sometimes. Um, I have to have self-control. And so we have to obey the laws of the land. Of course, we need to obey the laws given by God. And here in verse 17, it says, we are called to obey our leaders and submit to them. That word submit is a good word, just as Jesus submitted to the Father as the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. Submission is a good thing. In fact, in Ephesians 5, verse 21, it says, we are submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here it says we are to submit to our leaders, but these leaders that he's talking about, these are not strangers. He's not saying submit to somebody you have no idea who it is, you have no relationship with, you're submitting to the leaders that you know, that you love, hopefully, and who love you. This is the beautiful thing. They love you. I love you. That's not just something I say. And so we are called to submit to our leaders. 
And it says, they are keeping watch over our souls. That brings fear at times in my heart. That brings chills off the back of my neck. That I give an account for keeping watch over your soul. So, the writer says, obey these leaders because they care for you. They love you. And submit to their leadership. Their leadership is not as one of a dictator, but it's the one of a loving pastor. Just like you would see a father caring for their children, the pastor elder is caring for the flock. The church is to obey and submit to the, to the leaders of the church who are called by God to teach the divine word of God. If there's ever a time I'm not teaching you God's word, come to me, correct me, rebuke me, because I'm called to teach you God's pure and undefiled word. Amen. And we see here that as the church submits to its leaders, the leaders are living in submission to God. As I've already said, the elders will give an account for their actions. James says this in James 3. It says, Not many should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I think back of a story I heard by John Piper. When John Piper was going into the ministry, his father wrote him a letter basically encouraging him, exhorting him not to go into the ministry. Not really, but in a sense he was. He was saying, if you can do anything else, do it. Because this is a serious and a call from God. So he was warning him, challenging him, if you could do anything else, do that thing. Because of what we see here in James 3, there would not be many who are teachers, leaders, shepherds. Those who are elders live and lead as representatives of God and shepherds for God's people. Just as Ezekiel was a watchman in the Old Testament, elders are to be watchmen who keep watch over souls. Bank presidents watch over accounts. Doctors watch over patients. Shepherds watch over sheep. Biblical shepherds watch over souls. So the last part of verse 17 is of great importance. Look with me at the last part of verse 17. Let's read it again. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. We've already gone over that part. Now the second half. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What an important part here, verse 17. What does this mean? It means pastors and elders are to lead with joy, and the flock should add to that joy. It should be a privilege for them to lead. It doesn't mean that everything I do or everything elders do that they actually enjoy but that there should be joy in leading those who want to be led. The work of church leaders should be a labor of love. I love to listen to our uh, Bible study Sunday school teachers because they love what they do. They love to teach. They love to learn. But if leaders are leading while groaning, it may reflect a congregation that is obstinate instead of obedient. Albert Moeller says this, grudgingly obeying your, our leaders does not sharpen our hearts, it hardens them. So, as a church body, we must recognize elders as a gift from God. 
to obey their voice and to seek to help them to do their job with joy. So how do we apply this truth today? How do we recognize elders as a gift from God, obey their voice, and seek to help them do their job with joy? Well, first of all, there should be multiple pastors, elders present to care for the flock. So we should pray for multiple elders, pray for multiple pastors, pray for those to lead us. We've seen this in Ephesians 4, Hebrews 13 today, also in Titus in the book of Acts, and even in James 5. Look with me at James 5. I think we have it on the screen. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So this is a win-win. You receive blessing and care for those who are coming and praying over you. This is a wonderful thing as elders care for the flock. So second, not only should we pray for multiple elders, but when we think about applying the scriptures we have studied, it's vital that we look for ways to encourage the elders in our midst. Now, even as I typed that, that sounded very self-serving. Like, you know, pray for ways you can encourage me. But um, while this might sound self-serving, in reality, when the elders are leading with joy... They are sacrificing for those under the care. They are looking for ways they can serve the flock. Listen to what Mark Dever says. I love this. Mark Dever says, Other than the Bible, you are the elder's main source of information about you. You. Rather than distrusting church leaders, let me encourage you to talk behind your elders' backs. Meet in secret and plot to encourage your leaders. That kind of took me for a took me back for a second. I had to read about two or three times. Strategize to make the church leaders work not burdensome, but a joy. So we should be called to encourage to all be Barnabases to um, our leaders. Someone asked me once what I enjoyed most about being a pastor. What do I enjoy most about being a pastor? It's simply this. Seeing God's people desire God to find God as a treasure, to see God answer prayer requests in their own life, to see God grow in their knowledge of God, to grow in trusting God, grow in seeking God's face. That's what's most encouraging to me. So when the flock says, God is enough. He is all that I need. Gives me great joy to see God's people long after Him. It gives elders great joy in serving and leading. As I close, recently I was watching a war movie. Um, I confess, sometimes I'm a, a war movie junkie. And one soldier was about to go into battle, and his commander told him that every soldier needs a reason why. He gave him a memento that reminded him why he was going into battle. He said, we need a reason why. Well, we may need a reminder, a reason why, Why are we taking so much time to talk about elders, talk about church leaders over the past few weeks? Well, I submit to you that it's biblical. It's a biblical thing for us to have a plurality of elders. I submit to you that it's historical. I haven't talked much about the history, but we will in the days and weeks to come. It's historical. Even the first president of the Southern Baptist Convention believed in a plurality of elders. And it is practical. 
I think sometimes that's where we end. We often think, well, well how is this practically going to help us? Well, I think it will. And we'll talk about that as well. But let me give you three uh, other reasons why we need to talk about elders. Number one, I have heard other pastors talk about how beneficial the recognition of elders has been in their own pastoral ministry. Number two, I have personally seen the beauty of a group of elders working together in a single church in numerous churches that I've been a part in. It's a beautiful thing to see God's called out leaders working together. And number three, when elders lead biblically, there are immense benefits. You might want to think through this last one for a second. This is really good. They provide balance among gifting. They make up for one leader's deficiencies. I have many. They provide more discernment and judgment. They create support in the congregation for decisions made. And they provide more pastoral care for those in the body. So as we move forward, I do not plan on moving forward quickly, but I want us to be thinking about how we should move forward. You know, I want us to be examining... Wrote down here, examination, transition, implementation, all led by godly motivation. So we need to be thinking about how this would impact us. And as we do so, as you ask questions, as I help us through this process, let me encourage you to do two things. One, it's very simple. You don't even have to write this down. Study the scriptures. Go back over the scriptures we've gone through. Number two, pray. Pray that God will be glorified in our decision-making process. Amen. Let us pray.